Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll hear part one of my interview with the Titans of Industry podcast. Check this out. It's a new podcast that is out with Nate DeSaro, and I hope you enjoy it. And now you see it in gas stations, whole food stores, health stores, pharmacies. I mean, CBD, you probably see it everywhere. Hey, it's Nate DeSaro, and welcome to Titans of Industry, the podcast where I talk to industry leaders and innovators who are at the top of their game and leading the pack in their fields, uncovering some of the best stories in today's business landscape. In today's episode, I sit down with Hillary Blackburn, a pharmacist based in Nashville, Tennessee, who has created a career path that goes well beyond what you think a normal pharmacist does. Hillary covers everything from opioids to how patients can navigate the current state of drug prices. And of course, we dive into CBD and its place in the pharmacy world. And we get into her journey of becoming an author and empowering other women. And now let's get to the episode. Now, here's my conversation with Hillary Blackburn. Well, Hillary, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Look forward to this conversation. Um, so I just want to start by kind of getting your background. How did you decide you wanted to be a pharmacist? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be on the show. And, you know, I always knew that I wanted to go into medicine, um, you know, from picking like Clara Barton, who is a famous uh, nurse during the Civil War, is, you know, a, a childhood um, like kind of book report project and doing um, things like doing the National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine as a high schooler. Um, I I always thought that I was going to be a a doctor. And um, actually, it was during a Scholar's Day at the University of Mississippi um, that I ran into one of the pharmacy professors, and he talked me into doing early entry pharmacy. And so what that is, is as a high school senior, um, they look, they accept 50 students and, um, you know, talked with my parents and they were like, this sounds like a great idea. You could do pharmacy and then go on to to medical school. And so I really thought that was kind of the direction that I was going to go. But, um, really after being in pharmacy school and getting to uh, getting exposed to all of the different uh, opportunities within pharmacy, especially during that last year where it's all rotation based and you're, you know, rounding in places like in the ER or in the ICU and and working with interdisciplinary teams. um, I just fell in love with um, that uh, area. Uh, It's a great field for um, Um, a female, more and more females are going into pharmacy. uh, And so a little bit more flexibility um, and, but still so many great opportunities uh, within pharmacy. So. mm -hmm. Very cool. So you finish your schooling, you come out, was your first job as a pharmacist 
What were you doing right off the bat? Yeah, so um, actually during school, uh, I served as an intern at CVS at um, my in my hometown, small town in Mississippi Delta, uh, where I grew up, and um, so that was great. I was able to get experience and make some money, um, and so. Uh, but I kind of knew that that the retail pharmacy setting wasn't exactly. Um, where I, where I wanted to stay, um, but had some great uh, experience there. Um, even uh, as a student, I uh, had a little bit of a different turn in that I had interned on Capitol Hill, and that was uh, just interning for a Mississippi senator. And thought, wow, how fun is DC? And but how do I go back for pharmacy? And so um, pharmacy is a small world, and there was an Ole Miss alum that was uh, the director of the Office of Pharmacy Affairs, which is part of HRSA or Health Resources and Services Administration, part of HHS, and they administer this very big program called the 340B Drug Program, and it is a um, government program where any manufacturer that is participating in, in Medicare has to give discounted drug prices to uh, safety net hospitals, and so um, got exposed to that, um, more of kind of a program aspect, um, definitely always had a passion for underserved um, communities, uh, growing up in a, in a rural town um, and in Mississippi, a lot of um, some impoverished areas, and um, you know had that experience, but uh, really loved all the clinical things that I was getting to do at the Academic Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi, and um, yeah, so I did a residency. Actually, there are residency programs uh, for pharmacists, uh, just like in medicine, and um, yeah, I, and right and right after, I wasn't quite sure exactly what I was going to do. Um, I thought I was going to go the hospital pharmacy route, and um, you know, was looking at jobs. Um, a lot of times, many of the ones that are available for new graduates are you're working night shift or, you know, some of the hours just aren't great or you're, you know, a staff pharmacist. And I don't know, none of those kind of really seem to be that exciting. I, I also have, a, I'm pretty social and, um, you know, uh, work-life balance is important to me, having some weekends, and kind of didn't think I wanted to stay in Mississippi, and a lot of uh, Ole Miss people in, uh, are in Nashville, and made the move to Nashville, worked for a family friend uh, at an independent pharmacy, and uh, that's how I got to Nashville, so that was the first job out of school. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Very mm -hmm. cool. So one of the things that I think is interesting about the, the pharmacy profession is 
when I think of pharmacists most of the time, and I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. you think of CVS or Walgreens exactly. or your local drugstore right. and you got to go pick up a prescription. Mm-hmm. But it's a much bigger world than that. So yeah. talk me through the different areas that people uh, can get the jobs in as a pharmacist mm-hmm. outside of yeah. Walgreens, CVS, your local drugstore. Exactly. Usually that is exactly what people say. I say, I'm a pharmacist and, oh, do you work at CVS or Walgreens? Uh, and um, neither. So, well, I still will do a little moonlighting at Walgreens. It's great to... Um, Still kind of keep my feet wet with retail. Lots of customer service there. Um, But yeah, there are so many different areas of pharmacy practice. Um, You've got hospital, and I mentioned a few different areas of that. Um, So uh, you've got ambulatory care, so pharmacists embedded in physician uh, clinics. And that's really becoming popular as more and more um, specialty drugs are hitting the market. When I mean specialty drugs, um, those are more of the high cost, um, high management type of um, medications for like RA, rheumatoid arthritis, oncology, um, those types of uh, disease states. And so having a pharmacist manage the drug because it's you know these drugs are thousands and thousands of dollars so if the patients aren't taking them appropriately um oh they had a side effect we, we got to kind of counsel them through some of those things um so that's certainly an area you're seeing more in pharmacogenomics um so looking at um your gene therapy um you know some people are fast metabolizers of medicine or slow metabolizers um, uh, working for the pharmaceutical industry, um, working in for government, academia. There's a lot of different areas of practice. Yes. So you pretty much at retail, institutional, government. I mean, any any major industry, it pretty much mm-hmm. there could be a pharmacist there. Yeah. And, and they kind of have their own world to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always curious. You've been at it for a few years now, but you're not that old, and. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's been some transition, some innovation, some changes since you probably came out of school. And mm-hmm. Or where do you see the industry going? What are some of the new trends, innovations that you see happening? Yeah, so I would say the biggest thing happening is moving from that dispensing model. Um, so, you know, pharmacists doing mostly dispensing to more utilizing their clinical skill set. Um, and so more of the medication therapy management, um, you know, do, doing more within the doctor's office. Um, so, and you know, the doctor is going to be doing all of the diagnosis and things like that. But a lot of times uh, patients are coming in uh, if they've got hypertension or, or um, diabetes or things. And they're seeing a pharmacist to manage uh, and titrate those medications Um, so I think, uh, the, you know, that uh, informatics is definitely a huge field data, you know, every industry you're seeing data having more and more importance. And that's certainly the case in healthcare as well. And so having a clinical informatics pharmacist on your team is, um, huge to be able to, to, um, you know, manage different, um, order sets or, or predictive analytics of like disease states and things. So 
Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, changes happening, um, certainly in, in healthcare and definitely within the pharmacy profession, um, seeing a lot in the news lately about, um, you know, what it looks like supermarkets are getting out of um, the dispensing space. So um, it's not as profitable because um, you've got um, pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs that um drug prices are are certainly a hot topic right now and um it's a very complex process um between the manufacturer and it getting to the patient um and i think that pharmacists um can be part of that solution in helping patients navigate um how to make sure they can get access to, to their medicine um and then that they're taking it appropriately that brings up a good point as well. I want to talk a little bit about uh, GPOs, maybe mm-hmm. the, the role of telehealth in mm-hmm. how that plays into pharmaceuticals and, and getting those drugs to the, the patient. With Because mm-hmm. to your point about pharmacists working in at the retail level, mm-hmm. it's a lot of customer service. There's a lot of things that go into that. But when you look yeah. at GPOs and getting, you know, how, how does it get from the manufacturer mm-hmm. to the patient? Mm-hmm. maybe skipping over the retail side of things. Um, the Amazon yeah. approach, a few others, mail order, there's all kinds mm-hmm. of ways. So talk a little bit about how, how do you see that playing out in the industry and how is that changing things? Yeah, so GPOs are great purchasing organizations. Um, you know, uh, health systems uh, use those. Um, other groups use those so that they can increase their buying power. Um, so um, they are negotiating with Um, either manufacturers or wholesale distributors to make sure that they're getting the best price. And um, so it is interesting about what that best price is because um, you sometimes will get rebates um, or um, depending on, um, you know, health insurance plan um that's that's often what you see when a patient's going into the re to the to the retail pharmacy setting is um you know what is their copay so um you know you've got a copay uh well first you've got a deductible and that always hits at the beginning of the year and so every january patients are coming in saying this isn't how much I used to pay for this. And so they've got to hit their deductible first. And then they've got a copay um, that, you know, is kind of an assigned number. And then typically they will, um, and then that kind of shifts once they've hit that deductible. And then maybe the plan is going to pay for more. And so all of that kind of changes. And so being knowledgeable about some of that is, is helpful um, in being able to kind of help um, answer questions to patients about, you know, why is my prescription this amount? Or um, a lot of times, you know, patients will be started on a new drug and it require, requires a prior uh, authorization from the doctor. And so maybe their insurance plan doesn't have that drug covered or they've got to do some kind of step therapy and um, then you're kind of in this triangle between the, the patients in the middle, they're at the pharmacy, but the doctor has to give their approval. And then the insurance company then 
approves it for the pharmacy to dispense. So it's it's not very transparent. There's not a lot of transparency right now in uh, within the prescription um, space. And so hopefully that's something that they're going to be addressing uh, in the future. Um, but yeah, GPOs, there's, you know, a lot of big ones um, that can certainly help leverage good pricing um, out there. Um, but uh not not all of those uh, solutions are, I, I mean, we've got, you know, lots of uh, different plans, whether, you know, the government can negotiate for Medicare prices and Medicaid prices, you know, that's been proposed, um, drug importation, um, there's some concerns about that. Um, there's been a lot of proposals on how to lower um, drug prices, um, but it seems that a lot of those have been blocked and um, maybe not necessarily every solution has been quite the right fit. There's been a few concerns. So hopefully we'll um, be able to find some kind of solution maybe maybe after November when, um, you know, everyone, all of the legislators are kind of their seats are saved uh, and then they can can bring that back up. So we'll see. It's all incredibly interesting. And I think there's just, I mean, like most industries, there's just so many nuances that it's hard to mm-hmm. figure it out all with one it's conversation. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that go into it. Um, another hot button topic that's going around right now, of course, there's, there's just kind of two sides to it from the way I see it. There's an opioid e- epidemic, mm-hmm. as they say. And then right. now there's a CBD revolution. And <laughs> are, are those, are there, is there any relationship between those mm-hmm. and where do you see from a pharmacy perspective, pharmacist perspective, you know, what are we doing about this opioid situation? Mm-hmm. And then what's going on in the CBD world? Yeah, so opioid epidemic kind of first. Um, and there's a great Netflix documentary out right now called The Pharmacist. Uh, so I was able to watch that. I think it just came out um, kind of early February. So it is a great story, and it describes uh, an independent pharmacist or community pharmacist in St. Bernard Parish, uh, Louisiana, which was one of the hot spots. They were that area was one of the top. Um, dis, uh, they wrote some of the most prescriptions for OxyContin. Um, and so actually the drug manufacturer, Purdue Pharma, had all of, had all the data of like who were the top prescribers in the country. And somehow uh, same, there was a doctor that was a pill mill. She was only open uh, in the evenings you know, at night, people would wait outside. Um, Really incredible story about how he lost a son Mm. and then started really notice to drug abuse and then realized that he started taking note of people in his community that were young or healthy. And they started, they were getting prescriptions for Oxycontin. And this is back when, um, you know, there was was still some uncertainty on the amount of addiction um, that pain meds were causing. And then, of course, now we know that there's a much tighter um, correlation. And so it's a great story telling about how he um, was uh, able to start doing some counseling to patients. And then he actually was able to kind of help um, flip the scale on 
this doctor and helped supported the case to be able to kind of take down this pill mill. And it was like the Mm -hmm. second biggest one. There was another um, doctor out of like Portsmouth, Ohio. And there's a a different book that I would recommend um, if people are really interested in the opioid epidemic um, to um, to read. Um, Oh, what is that book called? Um, I'll have to think of it. Track it down. Um, Yeah, I'll have to remember what it is, but now I can't can't recall. But um, uh, a really great one, and I'll have to I'll have to look it up and get back to you. Um, But yeah, so I think it's neat to be able to um, track some of those things, and you know, there really hasn't been a pharmacist in the media. with that kind of much public attention. And so it's kind of neat, even here within the last week or so, I've seen where the Boston Red Sox are doing a pharmacist appreciation night. Uh, So I don't know if there's any kind of um, link there, but it's like, oh, there's kind of some exciting things happening around the profession, which is um, fun. So, oh, Dreamland, that's the book. Yeah, Mm -hmm. got it. We'll we'll take a look. Yeah, because I think it's interesting. known some people and told some stories of people who have had opioid addictions and mm-hmm. just the way that it can ruin lives, both end lives as well as yeah. ruin lives that, that are still ongoing. And, and yes. it's just unfortunate to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously there's got to be other ways around. Yeah. And a lot's changed. So um, now there are prescription monitoring programs where, um, you know, pharmacists are required to check the prescription database. And so they can see if you came in and you're going to, you know, you're um, doctor shopping. So you got multiple prescriptions from um, different doctors, or um, we can also see what other pharmacies have you gotten this filled at. And so um you know, if you were, came in to, you know, my Walgreens pharmacy and you had, and I'm in Nashville and you've got a prescription from a doctor in Kentucky, um, pharmacists are allowed to use their, um, good, you know, clinical judgment, uh, good faith dispensing laws and, and make decisions on whether they're gonna, they think that it's, um, you know, a legitimate prescription. And um, there are certain things in place. Uh, Tennessee has even um, implemented uh, some some major um, restrictions on controlled substances. We're really trying to get away from um, doctors writing as many controlled substances out of like the emergency rooms. You don't have as many um, drug seekers going in because they know that they're not going to be able to get that. Um, they're limiting those prescriptions to three-day supplies. Um, if it is longer, they have to have a diagnosis code on the prescription. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of times um, pharmacists uh, counseling on naloxone. So um, that's a huge thing, too, is making the um, opioid reversal agent available and kind of targeting patients. Like, we don't think that you're a drug abuser or, or you're, um, but if you're on a high dose opioid prescription, then, um, they might be eligible for naloxone or a lot of times, um, you know, it's, it's the bison, it's not the person that overdoses that is going to be administering the naloxone. Um, it is a family member, a friend, law enforcement agent that um, they've got to carry those around so that they can um, help reverse um, that opioid overdose. 
Um, and so you mentioned CBD. Yeah, too. Well, I mean, I know it's not necessarily connected, but I think a lot of people yeah. are looking at CBD as pain relief and, mm-hmm. and sometimes chronic pain relief. Things that, mm-hmm. in some cases, people get hooked on opioids for yeah. chronic pain, and then mm-hmm. now we see people using CBD to hopefully relieve some of that pain mm-hmm. as well. But from a pharmacy perspective, and 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 sort of within the medical and healthcare industry, how is CBD right. changing things, or is it changing things? Yeah, well, so CBD or cannabidiol is um, part of the cannabis sativa plant and cannabis or marijuana uh, as, you know, a lot of it's, I guess, more commonly known. Um, So it's actually been around for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, even the Chinese emperors in like 2000 BC, there's been documentation that, um, you know, they even use cannabis. And um, even some of the early American presidents were growing hemp um, as a crop and um, you can get CBD from hemp or from the cannabis plant. Um, And so CBD is actually the non-psychoactive component. The THC is the, that causes more of that euphoric feeling. Um, And so, you know, there are several states, I think, um, you know, definitely over 30 states that have actually approved medical cannabis. Um, about 19 or so have approved recreational laws. So, you know, you see that coming from the West and then uh, making its way over to the East. Um, so a lot of different laws. And then actually um, the Farm Bill um, legalized CBD So no THC, it's got to be less than 0.03% CBD. That was legalized in December of 2018. And so now you see it in gas stations, um, whole food stores, um, health stores, pharmacies. I mean, CBD, you probably see it everywhere. It's in face uh, care. It is in, um, there is apparently a restaurant outside of Nashville that has all CBD infused foods. Well, I know CBD Uh, coffee is a big thing now. Everybody's drinking their CBD CBD every morning. Coffee. Um, So I will tell you that, um, that, you know, there are a lot of potential benefits from CBD, like anti-inflammatory um, or, you know, other protective things. Um, there's a lot of claims uh, about CBD, um, but there are certainly some concerns with it because it's not regulated. It's not a drug. Um, it's not regulated by the FDA. Uh, so it is kind of the wild, wild west. You could have people that are growing it in you know their basement and like bottling it up and you're not quite sure exactly what the percentages are um and so there are some concerns i mean i would tell the public um that you know there's certainly some some benefits you know i've recommended it um to my dad you know he um has a lot of like joint pain pain. he's a cyclist but also kind of like a a bigger um like a kind of stout guy and so um yeah as he's gotten older i'm like "Mm, you can you could try cbd but it is something that you also have to worry about with um with drug uh, you know, what does your, your workplace um, have in place about drug policies? Because 
you could potentially fail a drug test. It actually happened to a lady in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, um, that hit the front page of the Tennessean or, you know, one of the news um, journals that she was a Murfreesboro City employee. And instead of taking anxiety meds, whether it was too expensive or a lot of people, you know, are into trying other therapies, um, there aren't a lot of um, negative side effects with CBD. Uh, as I mentioned, it doesn't cause some of those um, euphoric uh, feelings, but depending on how much THC is possibly in there, you could potentially fail a drug test like she did. And she lost her job because, um, you know, her workplace had a zero tolerance for, um, for drugs. And so it's interesting. She's just trying to sleep better at night. <laughs> so yeah, sleep is another supposed benefit of CBD. So I don't know that, um, it is interesting about, you know, like, Oh, well, are we going to have less of the opioids if we increase medical cannabis? And and there have been a few studies that have maybe shown that, um, and it, at least it is another option. Um, I don't think that CBD is completely um, non-addictive. There could still certainly be some addictive, um, you know, tendencies. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think uh, there's there's still a lot to be known about um, CBD, but yeah, a lot of attention on the opioid crisis and epidemic right now. So well, and, and it's interesting to look at it from a business perspective too. You've seen these businesses mm-hmm. pop up out of nowhere, and to your sure. point, the regulation piece. So, I mean, if I was going to say I want to go buy a bottle of CBD oil, what would you recommend? What do I look for? Where mm-hmm. do I find a reputable source? Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you help? guide people in that direction yeah well i would would definitely recommend um you know trying to get it from you know doctor's office or or pharmacy because um you know they hopefully have some kind of medical grade um uh one and and um they're going to be a little bit more regulated you know or, or a little bit more probably concerned about um, regulations. And so the, you know, CBD can certainly, uh, be tested for quality and, and the batches and things. And so, um, I think, you know, one that has been proven to have, um, good quality, uh, like one of those products that would be in a pharmacy or I, you know, I don't know how much I would trust it from a gas station. So <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Do, do you think one day that, you know, kind of like these days, we can go get Advil from the store, and Advil's the brand name. Mm-hmm. We can get the Kroger brand or the store brand, however yeah. we want to do that. The generic versus brand name aspect to, I mean, oh, it's all about marketing. You know, are you going to go for the high end line, and you've got really pretty um, packaging and everything? Well, people are probably going to pay more for that, um, or you know, there's probably plenty of products that are like middle of the line. I think you just have to find one that, um, you know, what does the quality testing look like on it? Um, and so, yeah, there's, there is a lot of money to be made because people don't know, like, what is that price point? Um, and so, you know, at least, you know, sometimes online you can comparison shop. So yeah, I, I think that, um, you'll, you'll start to see maybe some brands that are, 
you know, kind of recommended. To hear more about this episode, check out next week's show, part two, to hear more conversations on the Titans of Industry podcast. Thanks for listening to this one. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We are going to be relaunching our newsletter. So be sure that you're signed up over at pharmacyadvisory.com. There's a place to sign up for the newsletter and we're going to be sharing some good content there. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps us to get in front of more pharmacists and others interested in the pharmacy industry. We really appreciate your support in sharing this content. Also, be sure to check us out at Talk to Your Pharmacist on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 